I'm thrilled to welcome Brian Murphy to our podcast today. Brian is not just the founder and CEO of ReliaQuest, a leading name in the cybersecurity industry. He's a visionary leader who's transformed the company from a nascent startup in 2007 to a global powerhouse. It's, it has a valuation now of a billion dollars. Uh, not a lot of people can say they've done that. He's a Florida State University alumnus with degrees in accounting and finance. He's, uh, he's had a, a career as a management consultant at PwC, but that foundational experience paved the way for this entrepreneurial journey, as you'll see. So in 2007, amidst challenging economic conditions, uh, Brian sketched the concept of ReliaQuest on a cocktail napkin at an FSU alumni event marking the beginning of this extraordinary journey. He's got a commitment that goes way beyond business growth. He's deeply invested in community and education. And ReliQuest itself is involved in a whole series of educational programs that invest in STEM. His leadership, his strategic foresight has earned him and ReliQuest numerous accolades. Uh, the company's positive culture, uh, the focused growth, that's uh, been recognized by Fortune Magazine and Entrepreneur, among others. Brian himself has been acknowledged as one of Florida Trend's most influential business leaders. In today's conversation, we're going to dive into Brian's journey, and I think you'll find him fascinating. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Greg. Really appreciate you uh, having me on and excited uh, excited for the conversation today. Let's start at the very beginning. Tell me like, I mean, literally, way before you're thinking, you're not prepared for this question, your first memory. Who? Oh, man, first memory. Well, I'm the, I'm the youngest of three boys by mm. seven years. So I think I my earliest memory is probably my hand getting slammed in the door uh, as my brothers were running out ahead of me trying to uh, distance themselves from me. So uh, that was, uh, you know, that that's when I started chasing, uh, you know, chasing things that were bigger and older than me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, how old were you at that moment? Oh gosh. Uh, I, I wouldn't even know. Probably maybe three. So, so that is a literal thing. You remember the, the hand in the door. We remember pain, don't we? I mean, that's, that's true. With you, right? that's I remember right. the first time I was stung by, uh, by a bee and uh, I remember exactly where I was, precisely what was going on around it. We have that. Okay. So carry us forward. Don't speed through this. Tell me like, you know, like how were you as a student in high school? Student high school, I, I w I've always been a very serious thing. Being the young, so much younger than my brothers, I watched mm. do everything first. So I was always in a hurry. So I was very focused mm -hmm. and almost high school didn't matter to me. I was, I was already, already looking ahead to college and I was a very just curious, uh, my, my, I grew up in a, you know, kind of lower middle-class family and very blue collar family. And so business and, you know, I didn't know doctors and attorneys or entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. and, you know, high rises mm -hmm. where I was, but I was just fascinated with briefcases and large buildings. And so, you know, high school to me was just something I needed to get through on the way to college. 
And did you, when you, when you say you were younger, how much younger were you? Seven and eight years younger. Seven and eight years younger. So you really were like, they were way ahead when yeah, you I was an actor. Yeah, best mistake my parents made, right? That's what I was. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The whole thing began with a mistake. So, so <laughs> then, so when you say that you were looking ahead at, to college, were you already entrepreneurial in high school? I don't know that I was entrepreneurial. I knew I, I definitely thought differently. Um, I started, I, we had a, a big van that would come to the front of our housing development called the bookmobile. My mom mm. would, she would read a romance novel a week. I mean, she could read like crazy and I would go Interesting. fill this bag full of books. And uh, the woman that ran the librarian that ran that bookmobile, I would ask her, you know, she got asked me what I was interested in. So she just started handing me business books. Really? So how old, how old are you at this point? The first business book that she hands you, you are what age? 11 or 12. That, that's, um, that's interesting. Do you remember what the book was? Um, I remember one of the first ones that I made it through. She handed me a lot that I started and just didn't understand, but I read uh, Beating the Street. Um, mm -hmm. is Beater, Beating the yes, Street. Yes, I know the which, book. Which is pretty, uh, was pretty fascinating. I made it through that. So how old were you when you made it through Beating the Street? I was probably 13. 13, when, yeah, because it probably came out in the what mid '80s, so that would have been around. Um, so it was, it was, it was older when I when I read it. But you remember the name of the woman that ran that book? Mobile? I don't, I don't. I can see her, uh, I can picture her, but I don't remember. But you know, she definitely showed me. She showed me my section, and I would uh, pull books. And I felt like if I was taking out a book, uh, then I was I was starting in the right direction, whether I ever got around to reading it or not. But uh, but it helped to build that habit. And and you made it through that whole book at thirteen. That's interesting. You must have really been interested in that subject already. I was fascinated by, he was a good storyteller, right? He, mm -hmm. he wrote many books and he just kind of was painting the picture of what was going on at the time. So to me, it was lack, not always about the investing. It was the yes. story of him in that book. And, and, um, and that was right around the time, like you can remember, like, you know, secret of my success coming out. And a lot of those just, movies where it was just that hustle culture, the the storyline of somebody coming from nowhere and working their way up. And so that I definitely connected to that. When you say that you, she asked you what you were interested in, you said business. What did that mean to you at 11, 12 and 13? What was your visual for what you were saying? Well, it's funny. My dad was a diesel mechanic and, and, and retired now still with us. Brilliant guy, really good at fixing things and solving problems. Problem and solver, yes. Yeah. And, um, but he would always tell me every weekend we'd have some project, paint this, build that, cut this, change tires, brakes, alternators, but whatever. And he would always tell me, put this on a list of things you don't want to do when you grow up. And so I started thinking, well, what do I mm -hmm. want to do when I grow up? Right. And, and, uh, I remember I started the business club in elementary school and you started the business club in elementary school. I basically talked a teacher when I was in the fourth grade. They used to sell school supplies out of this little room before yep. school. And I right. talked her into letting me get a group of us to run that, like collect the money, sell the school, do the inventory. I was just fascinated by the whole thing. And I've always been really curious around how things worked. Like I love a manufacturing company. I love how things are made, how they're built. And that was just 
from the time that I was a kid. And, you know, that experience, I think, led me to, well, then I want to I want to learn how people are building other things. And you're seeing movies and 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 these people have these jobs that I didn't quite understand, but they're wearing suits and they're important and people are taking them serious. And, you know, you're a kid. So you're just absorbing all of these things around you. Meanwhile, well, these, symbol, these symbols of power, these symbols of importance. Yeah. You know, I was the kid in fifth grade that wanted a briefcase for Christmas. So uh, it's just, you know, that's literally true, is it? Yeah. 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 Did you get the briefcase? I did not. I did not. Uh, My brothers were then far older and advised my parents I would probably get beat up every day if I went to my school with that briefcase. (laughs) So you were having, but I didn't catch that. So, so the idea was that you would have actually taken the briefcase as your alternative backpack that was the vision you had to school if you would have let me i mean it just it was fascinating to me but i think it it was great because it was such a world that was so different than mine right nothing i saw around me was like that and that's why i've kind of said by the time i got to college it was like the playing field was level and and everything that i wanted was there you know I, i there were no advantages that anyone else had right it was if you wanted to be involved in something it was all right there that's kind of the I think that's what I was running towards. Okay, so so there's a, a couple of ways to think about this. So you, you, on the one hand, you could have just been aspirational, right? You say, you say, oh, I like the look of that. I like the sound of that. I'd like some of that. Another way is I don't want something, right? Yep. Like, was that, w- which is the bigger force on you when you look back? Is it more like, oh, you know, we were tight on money and I didn't want to have to feel that going up. I wanted to make something different. Or was it just, hey, that looks fun. Why not? I think had my parents not been, especially my dad, so much of a why not you, you know, so much of a just raw supporter uh, of mine that it would have been about the things that I didn't want to happen. But I truly felt like I could do anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was just how I was brought up. And sports helps that. Um, Having good teachers helps that. Having, you know, two older brothers. So I was fortunate in a lot of ways. Of course, that's true. Just had this, it's hard to describe, this just kind of burning drive inside of me since the time I could remember. I just wanted to push myself, like, could I get better? Could I learn more? Could I do more? And that didn't always materialize in the school because I can remember also being the person, like, having to take art, being like, why do, Why am I being graded on art, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, but if it was a an accounting class in high school or so, it, it, it wasn't that I, all things, I just wanted to be the best. It, it wasn't that. Mm. But when I was interested in something or it was something that I felt like was in my path, you know, I'd run at it with a relentless energy. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort 
thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. Okay, but still staying back here for a moment. I don't know if you know this. You know Clayton Christensen, the late Harvard business professor? Yes. So one of the things that he looked into, was there anything that differentiated the disruptors that he was studying? You know, was there, you know, was there some reason, some explanation for why they were more innovative, why they would challenge the assumptions and so on? And the only thing that he could actually find materially different in their life experience is that they found that they had a common story that their father, generally speaking, father, would have them work by their side while they were doing physically fixing things, showing them how things worked. That seemed to be the distinctive difference, which is pretty shocking when you think about how much we value innovators and how disproportionately valuable they can be in society, in a business, that their earlier origins are this sacrifice in a family setting where a father's saying, well, just come over here. Let me show you what I'm doing. Let me show you how it works exactly as you just described. Did you know about that research? I did not know that. That's amazing. It, it makes a ton of sense, but it's fascinating that you could correlate around that one data point. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, I was about to say in my description of it, oh, just this one small thing. And then I think, well, it isn't really such a small thing in the moment because your father had to choose to have his son by him, you know, and that, that could be inconvenient. Or maybe it was fun for him or maybe, but, and he didn't just do it once. It was over a, a long period of time. So it's not even a small thing in the moment, but it's still interesting to see how far reaching that investment has been in your life. Uh, I, I mean, I, it, to me, it, it speaks to my memories of it's really where i learn the concept of effort, right? Right. And I just believe that efforts, the great equalizer, like it, you, you, you have to work next to your father. And I can remember just not wanting to let him down. You don't want to mm. be the one that gets tired. You want to be the mm. one that can't split the piece of wood or there was no complaining, right? Because this was his second job. I mean, he would wake me up. I was gosh, seven, six or seven, he would wake me up, turn on the light up and at him. And he was out of the house. I had to get out of bed, eat breakfast and make it to the bus stop because there was no one there. If I missed the bus stop, mom and dad were, mom was gone far before him. So you, I think you were responsible for that. Right. And I think, you know, it stays with you that, look, this guy's doing this on the weekend after he did all that work. Mm. Right. So you just grew up in a household where you didn't want to let anybody down. You work was all around you. I saw hard work everywhere and it was the standard. No one ever had to pull me aside and say, you need to work hard. That's what you saw. And so that's what you did. This was the family culture. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and because you were the youngest, I'm the youngest of 
of, of five myself. And as the youngest, because of birth order theory, which is quite strong, some of the data about this. And, and one of the things that happens, of course, is that the oldest members of the family are forging a trail. And so any of that culture development really has taken place by this point. By the time you're on the scene, especially as seven or eight years younger, that's already being done. So then you just go, oh, this is how, it doesn't even occur to you that choices are being made here. This is just how it's done. And so this is the gift, I think, that the youngest get. There, there are other there are other challenges that come with it, but that seems to be to be the gift. Do, have you tended to, to, to think of being the youngest as a as a benefit to you, as a disadvantage to you? It's a. I think it was a tremendous benefit. I mean, uh, my my brother would tell you my father had calmed down by the time I came. Sure, along. that's true. <laughs> he just relaxed a little bit. They, they had gotten, and they were in a different place. I mean, they had uh, just fought hard. Both of them worked tremendously hard and built good careers. And so I think, you know, I didn't have to see as much struggle as my, my brothers did, but, but I had the benefit of having two older brothers. And I knew that, um, you know, when dad said, never talk back to your mother, I, I learned what happened when they did it. So I, I, <laughs> I got an education of like, you know, when you see someone else make a mistake, you don't have to make it yourself, that mistake yourself to learn from it. So I learned a lot by observation, which uh, I think keeps you out of a lot of trouble in life. Yeah, that, 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 that's literally true as a, as a younger child. And of course, it's metaphorically true for life. I mean, I'm thinking now of Charlie Munger, who just died at the time of our interview. And he said, I cannot think of a single person I have ever met who was wise, who didn't read constantly. And the connection I'm making, even before we get to the literal point of the reading that influenced you, is all reading is, is learning about other people's mistakes. So you don't have to learn. So it's, it's such a high leverage activity. I think it might be the highest leverage activity on earth for the price of a, of a pretty inexpensive meal. In fact, you can have access to the best thinking from the best people who ever lived. I mean, what unbelievable. I completely agree with you. And in today's world, I, I mean, look at the, what you've put together and an amazing podcast that brings this type of thinking to the world. So if, let's so for the, the excuse of, oh, I'm just not a good reader. You, you can consume however you want today, right? And that, that the information's everywhere. You just have to be willing to go connect to it. Yeah, you, you're right about that. And, and the birth of mass audible learning, I think, has opened up a possible avenue for a huge number of people. We, we, we are told, and I think sometimes it's true, that our attention span has reduced over time, and the data does support that. Nevertheless, at the same time, you see people being willing to listen to hours of podcasting, listen to audiobooks. I just finished The Count of Monte Cristo, right? It's 1,170 pages. I did the whole thing in audio, 50 hours of audio. I just did it on the way to things, in between things. Like I didn't sit down and take a week to do that. And that is a brilliantly written book, absolutely spellbinding on every page from the beginning to the end. I thought it's absolutely superbly written. And 
that was just uh, available. It's just there. It's just incredible to me that it's there. Have you thought about the role of those books you read as being disproportionately important? Was that obvious to you before this conversation? It wasn't, no. Um, and it's funny now that we're having the conversation. It, I, I was reintroduced to reading in college. I was in a student organization, really? a fraternity, and one of the older kids' dads just took an interest in wow. me and gave me the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was a, a sophomore in, uh, in college. And he would come back about every three weeks. He'd make wow. it to as many football games he could or events. And he would give me another book or he'd mail it to the house. And that really started from then on. I just never stopped reading. And that really shaped how I thought about one, what's possible uh, and two, my path to get there. I think that's amazing. I really think this is a little piece of gold that we are uncovering in your story that two people completely independent of you, completely independent of what they could gain, gave you books. They didn't even recommend books. They weren't book pushers of which yeah. maybe nobody loves a book pusher, but they gave you books. That is a very powerful thing to me. It, it's inspiring me to be a book giver, not just a book pusher. Because, because I've never connected the two before this. so But it's unbelievable it. because the way you had a curiosity for it, of course. My son says this, 17 years old. I mean, he's read, I don't know, 250 books as a teenager, right? So he's a real reader. And he just always says, there's no such thing as someone who's like a bad reader. There's no, it's just, just you have to find a book that interests you and then you'll read it. You've got no problem if you're, you're reading the right book. Yeah. And that, that, that's what you said. And that's what that librarian, let's call her, asked you what's interesting to you. And it began this journey that, that you're on now, shaping your thinking materially in those formative years. Absolutely. So you're at college. You want to be an accountant. That's what you majored in. You were enjoying being an accountant, which is always an amazing thing to me. I wouldn't say enjoying being an accountant. I connected accounting with the language of business, that if you, if you knew that, you could operate and thrive in a business. And it wasn't until I took a, an elective class titled professional selling, because there wasn't sales majors then. Mm. That that single class probably influenced more than any accounting class that I took. I was a, I was a dual major accounting and finance because to be a CPA in the state of Florida, you have to have 150 hours. So you can get a second major, or you can Got be it. a master of accounting, which will probably tell you <laughs> I didn't love accounting enough to want to master it. <laughs> um, so, but I, taking professional selling really kind of opened me up to the side of business that I would have been missing had I had I just thought accounting was it. At this point, you don't even know you're missing it. Right. I mean, I know I'm, I'm good with people and I can, uh, you know, I'm, I think I'm treasurer of the fraternity. Then I go on to be president of the fraternity. So I, I know I like people. I like working with people. I, I can listen and I understand there are mm. two sides of the story and mm. I'm learning the hard way. I'm making mistakes of not listening and mm. you know, having too strong of an opinion. So I'm taking my lumps, but there is a professor named professor Pat Palantino. He's passed on now and he sold for value at a reseller of IBM for 30 years and started a professional selling class at Florida State. And hmm. 
he would teach everybody beginning of the semester, feel, felt, found. I know how you feel. When I first heard it, I felt the same way. But what I found was, and he just said, feel, felt, found. Hmm. No matter where you go in the world or whatever you do in business or in life or in any relationship, feel, felt, found can get you and, and, and can turn a conversation into a two-way street pretty quickly. So I, it's funny, you know, I, of all the classes, all the books and all the Professor Palantino and Feel Felt Found, uh, it's, it's something that stood with me along. And there's a lot of truth to those three words. You, you're describing something really important to you. I get this and I know this, not just because you can remember it, which of course is one sight, is one sign of its importance, but just even the way you talked about it, it's like, this is my story for you. You can tell me where I'm wrong. It seems to me that you went and tried that, found that it worked, and have done it many, 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 many times since then. Is that right? What did I get wrong? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really a, it's three words that really kind of remind you to be self-aware, right? Like you got to look in the mirror. You're, you're 50 to 80% of every problem that's in your life. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if you can just kind of turn it around, yourself and realize, especially growing a business and a global business and, you know, being married for 19 years and having two kids and, you know, you're raising a teenager. My daughter just turned 18. I mean, you learn a lot from them. They teach you so much um, that I wish I could have front loaded in a way. It would have helped me a lot more later, but. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Life, life seems to happen in reverse in all sorts of ways. You know, we we have to make all the big decisions when we know the least. That's exactly right. Now, tell me more about the feel, felt, found. Tell me, like, do you remember the first time you used that with someone else? Like, you went to role play it, you went to practice it, like, okay. (laughs) I remember uh, I wrote it down. He went over in a class and he did some role plays. And I forget what we had. I think it was, that must have been a, I don't know, maybe I had the class Tuesday, Thursdays. So, and I would meet with people before chapter and go over their outstanding bills, right? And I, I tried it <laughs> in a fraternity house. And it's probably not the best. Uh, it was, I learned that it can't be robotic. It can't sound like something that you're trying. You know, I just right. feel, I felt the same way. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, I got, I got made fun of uh, pretty, because you're surrounded by a bunch of friends and aren't, aren't afraid to tell you when you sound stupid. So, but hold I, on, hold on, with backup. So y- 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 I, there's more to that story, but I want to catch that. So at first you did just use the language. Oh, yeah. I, I ran it like a playbook. I, I hadn't really thought enough and reflected enough of like, what, what's, what's the, what, what are we really trying to do here, right? Like what's the goal of this is not to have some strategy where you can, you know, take control of a conversation. The goal of it is like, are you really putting yourself in the other person's position? Like, do you really know how they feel, right? Like, are you really trying to put yourself on the other side of the conversation? And, and that I think to me, that was a realization that came over time when you just realize that no matter where you're from or what part of the world or what you believe in, we're all more similar than different um, when you just look at kind of human nature. And so, the feel part to me is, do I, do I appreciate how they feel? Like, am I putting myself in their shoes? Um, which is easier said than done. That's the self-awareness piece. So to double click just again on that for a moment, did someone make fun of you the first time you did it? 
Oh yeah. Oh, I got really. So the very first time they're sharing something well, and you're like, oh man, yeah, it sounds like you feel, you know, kind of mad about that. I felt that too. You just did it exactly as is. They just said, (laughs) what, who are you? Why are you talking like that? It was like, like, did you take a class or something? Like, is this like, where did you get this? Is this like a, you know, do you have this written down on a card? So, and I might have had it written down actually, because I, I think I probably did. It was I had a little notebook, and I'm just talking to people about outstanding dues, and there's you sure. know, more uncomfortable conversation than money. And I'm looking at over my three words over here. I know how you feel. I felt the sound, and uh, yes, and then uh, I found right. So I just got. I got shredded because I was using it like a golf club instead of like really understanding it. Right. Yeah. I understand this, but I still want a little more Then, then you get made fun of, you get shredded by the person you said to, did you, but you did it again. Yes. Um, I, because (laughs) I shared it with just some friends like, man, that didn't go well. And I remember talking to professor, uh, Palantino about it, uh, after class, I'm like, Hey, you know, cause I was curious. And so you're like, I tried it. That didn't yeah, work. Became, I think I stopped by his office hours. It became a running joke with he and I for the rest of the semester. And then I would see him throughout. The, uh, but it, he was just that engaging of a guy. Uh, so it was, it was, it was pretty funny. No, it's, it, this is, this is great. And you went to him because you said, Hey, listen, I mean, you're doing it and there is a spirit of fun as well in it, but you are also saying, listen, I did it. This was the reaction. Now you ha- now you have a problem because you taught me it. So explain it to me. Well, it's kind of like he said, "Hey, this thing will help you in business." I went back. I want to tell you, your thing doesn't work. Your thing is garbage, right? I used your <laughs> thing. I got made fun of. You know, it, was, it became this. He's like, "Are you really coming into my office to tell me my thing didn't work?" I'm like, "Yes, I am." Yes, I, like, I am. <laughs> and he's and he jokes about it, but then he teaches you what? Or did he not teach it? Yeah. It's, well, I, I think he joked. He's like, you might, you know, one, it, it takes a little bit more than trying it one time, you know, and you had it written down and you, it's just more of a conversation of if you don't believe it, no one else will. And so if you're saying it without believing it, then no one else is going to believe it. And I, I think that there's so much that, that can be said for that in life. Um, you know, when you get caught saying something you don't believe, or you're trying to convince yourself mm-hmm. out loud in front of mm-hmm. others it never goes well right um mm-hmm. so you gotta believe what you say the skill was just the tip of the iceberg the the understanding of it the motive the actually having empathy for the person really feeling it connecting with them that was the that's the unseen element of the skill the skill right. the, the words are just the top but all the rest of it's underneath and being curious enough and 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 willing to put the work into it to go back instead of just saying it didn't work and never talking about it again to go back and like, Hey, <laughs> like I, this made so much sense when you brought it up in class, which it's funny saying it out loud. It's why that class is so meaningful to me because, you know, in accounting, you're kind of learning a trade. You're, you're learning it to pass a test and then you start your career in accounting and they tell you to pretty much forget everything you learned in the classroom because the practical application of, it. but this was, something I could apply. Like, I felt like I could go use that now. So let me go figure out, was I the problem? You know, and uh, what did I not do right there? So it's one of the few classes I could take where I could apply it in my everyday life. And and, and I couldn't do that in most of my classes. Okay. So the reason that I'm double clicking so much on this and why I think it's so useful for the people listening to this and watching this is because 
it is a non-trivial, hugely important thing that you immediately practiced it, immediately tried it, got it wrong, went to the professor to go, okay, how did I get it wrong? This thing doesn't work. We got to get more understanding. Then went and practiced it again, probably got a little made fun of again, then tried it again, then tried it again until you understood how the skill works, the words work, and how it has to be connected with what's really going on with you underneath. And so this is the process of turning a book idea into a competence that has been useful to you literally for all of your life since then. Absolutely. Yep. Is that right? Did I get it right? Yeah, absolutely right. I want to emphasize it because I don't think people do this. I think people read books and they don't, they're not willing to have the courage to be rubbish. Right. And immediately try the thing. And then when it doesn't work, try it again and then try it again because of course it doesn't work. Of course you can't go from having a few new words to being able to implement that in a meaningful way in a conversation. Of course you need to read it, then role play it in the class, then go practice it, then practice it again and again and again. We know that in so many skills in life. We, would, we know that's true in learning how to walk. We know that's true if you want to gain any kind of proficiency in sports. We understand that. You are going to have to role play it and run it. We don't call it role play. It's just practice for hours and hours and hours. And then you're still going to get it wrong on game day but you'll develop over time new competence. Can you just wrap this first half of our interview by helping to show how this particular skill we've been talking about has been manifest in the success that you've had building this company? I think if I had to package it, I, I've just learned throughout really my early life and experiences that the simple things matter, right? Like doing the simple things well matter every time. People want to jump forward to a master's class and the complex equation and an mm. entrepreneurship. We can overcomplicate business pretty easily, mm -hmm. but it really is doing the simple things savagely well. And I've learned that and whether mm. if I'm going to take the time to do something, what did I learn? If I'm going to use something and it didn't work, well, look in the mirror. Why didn't it work? What could I have done better? And that is because success is not a straight line, especially mm -hmm. in entrepreneurship. And so that reflection, get a little bit better, reflection, get a little bit better. And there's something you said that I love it of just practice and practice and practice. You know, they say that in sport of, you know, don't practice it until you get it right. Practice it until you can't get it wrong. Right. right. And I think just having certain things that by doing the simple things well, I've learned that when things get really complicated, because I have the basics well and I can do them with my eyes closed, I can handle the variables I wasn't expecting. But if mm -hmm. you show up not ready to do the basics, when a variable comes, you're just beat. And, and I think you have to put yourself, I've always put myself under duress and new experiences, running for new offices, giving speeches, taking classes that were out of my comfort zone. And I've just gotten used to being uncomfortable and knowing like, okay, I can do this. Like there's going to be a variable. 
uh, but I can handle it. And I just think it's a learned thing over time that I have the basics down. If I'm going to go speak at a podium, nobody knows the topic better than I do because I'm generally telling a story. So just go forward and handle the things that you, that you, you know, the unknowns. Um, so I think for me, it's just simplicity, doing the simple things well. That phrase that you used, do the simple things savagely well, is a great one-liner. I feel confident that you've used that many times. That, that's, that's a mantra that's useful for all of us and is a great place to end uh, the first part of our conversation. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.